0: I love that line, on Christ the solid ground I'll stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen? Amen. Guys, we are here today to come into the presence of Christ, to say we need you because anything short of you is a weak and flimsy foundation. We're here today to give our lives to him as he has given his life to us. We're here today because when hope is about to break, we know that one who surpasses all things is here to give us hope beyond hope in the face of anything. Amen? Amen. So guys, I want you to pray with me. God, we come to you this morning. We come to you as the one in which we are firm, strong, and sure. We come to you today, Lord, knowing that in you we have refuge, fortress, foundation, Stability, strength, protection, and hope for whatever comes our way. We come here today not on our own strength, not on our own merit, not on our own goodness. We come here today seeking you and your grace, your spirit, your forgiveness. Forgive us, God, for the times that we think we can do it. Forgive us, God, for the times that we try it by our own power and our own power alone. Forgive us, God, for the times that we think that we are more than what we are. In the face of every adversary in this world and before your throne. Hear us today, God, in these next moments as we just turn our hearts to you. Prepare us. Prepare our hearts and open them to what you want to do in us today prepare us for your spirit i want to talk to you about your spiritual life and in conjunction with that i want to talk to you about something that i just like to call spiritual fitness unlike a generation ago i find that people today love to be spiritual it's common for people to say things, right? Like, you know, I'm spiritual even if I'm not religious. And unlike a generation ago where it was kind of like, okay, who's that whack job, right? Today, wow, man, you're like hip if you're spiritual. People want to be spiritual, they pride themselves on being spiritual. But what I find is that when people talk about being spiritual, it doesn't always mean the same thing. You kind of with me on this? Like some people when they talk about being spiritual, it seems to mean something like this. I have feelings. Right? To which you're like no kidding. But they're kind of like saying they're important to me. I'm in tune with them. Intuition and instinct and and these intangible qualities of who I am are important. To me, some I talk to, and for them, being spiritual means something like this. It's just like I'm philosophically curious. I like deeper ideas. I like ideas about what the nature of reality actually is and how it all pieces together and what my role is in it. And for others I've met, it's simply kind of a way of saying, I'm not a crass materialist. I think there's something more to me and more to life than stuff, stuff that I can accumulate, stuff that I can touch, stuff that I can see, but there's all these kinds of ideas out there about what it means to be spiritual, and honestly, and maybe I'm speaking to you right now, I find for a lot of people, at best, it's vague, you can't really put your thumb on this one. Like, like, you don't really know how to articulate what it means to have a spirit, to be spiritual. You just kind of sense something is there and you want to know more about it or have some part in it. Well, I want to talk to you today about your spiritual life I want to talk to you today about what it means to be spiritual and how to develop your spirituality because in my experience, it eludes most people, Christian and not. Now, off the bat, it's important to make a distinction, and it's a distinction that the New Testament makes. This isn't coming from me, and you're going to balk at this. I don't care. The New Testament makes a distinction between your soul and your spirit. A lot of people I find today see them as synonymous. And arguably, sometimes the New Testament and the Christian tradition uses them synonymously. But for our purposes today, I want to point you to a different collection of perspectives and passages in which the New Testament seems to divide soul from Spirit, And I want you to look at this passage firsthand with me. Don't take my word for it, okay? And I want you to take a Bible. You can find them under chairs. And I want to key you in to one key text that I think does as good a job as any for flushing this out. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't know where it is? You've got a table of contents in the front it will help guide you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And where I want you to key in with me is way down in the guts of it at verse 44. I swear, it's like the chapter's half over at 44. Would anyone agree that is way too many verses for any chapter? You ever do like a chapter a day kind of thing, and you come across like Psalm 119, it's like, oh my gosh, it's 180 verses. I feel like that with 1 Corinthians 15, but it's this amazing chapter about the resurrection of Jesus, about the resurrection of the dead, about the hope of the world and the hope to come, and it has a direct interface with this thing we call spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now key in with me at verse 42. Look at what it says. Paul writes, so it will be at the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, right? The body can die. It will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, right? Weak and less than what God designed it to be because of the taint of sin. But it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. We know that full well. It is raised in power. It is sown, and here's where I want you to key in. What does your translation say? It is sown a what? Natural body. It is raised a what? Now, when it talks about a natural body versus a spiritual body, 10 bucks says, and I could make some money on this if you were willing to bet, 10 bucks says that what you do is you create a distinction between that which is physical and fleshy, right? Like your body, right? And that which is spiritual or ethereal or vague or feelings-ish or kind of like intangible inside, right? Kind of like flesh and ghost, if I could put it that way. Kind of with me? All right. That's not what Paul is saying. And what I want to do is give you the Greek words to help you see the distinction that it's making. I don't want you to think I'm making this up, so I'm giving it to you right out of Greek, all right? Right out of Greek, here you go. Do you see the word natural? Here is the Greek word, psuchokon, like P.S. Psukikon, which you're like, okay, that like helps me not at all, right? But maybe this one helps a little bit more, psuche, You're like, no, not at all, right? But what if I was to talk to you about a field that's prevalent today called psychology? Can can you figure it out? Psychology. What is psychology? Well, it's the study of, to be literal Greek, the soul, right? If you have a cold, do you go to a psychologist? No, if you break your arm, do you go to a psychologist? No, because we like to distinguish the physical material from the spiritual immaterial, right? No, so a psychologist is someone that you go to for insight or help when those intangible pieces to you, your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your state of sense of self, needs a little tune-up or struggling or hurt. When Paul writes about the natural body, and you can see what they translate natural, the word is soulish. Let me translate it or read 1 Corinthians now this way. Your body is sown a psychological body, a soulish body. It is raised a spiritual body. It's fascinating to me that Paul makes a distinction between your soul And your spirit keep pushing on with me in this passage and every time you see the word natural I want you to substitute it with the closer original of soul okay if there is a soul body a soulish body there is also a spiritual body so it is written the first man Adam was a living being he had a soul the last Adam, this is Jesus it's referring to. No, something different spirit, life giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the soul. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born in the likeness of the early man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. What is it saying? When God made Adam, he made him out of stuff. He made him out of dirt. And he breathed into him, and he got a soul. Everyone has a soul. Everyone has a soul by the nature of how God created them. Your soul is what animates you. We know when something is alive and when something is dead, don't we? And a soul is that which gives something life. People have souls. Animals have souls. Trees have souls. And believe me, I'm not some wicked druid, Okay. Things have a life force. And the Old Testament isn't really concerned with distinguishing between this weird body-soul kind of thing we do today. No, just talk about your being, your essence, you, body, and soul as one combined unit. Yes, that can be fissured, but meant to be a holistic thing. Yes, everyone has a soul. Because everyone born of Adam is human, and humans have souls. But not everyone... As a spirit. At least as Paul is arguing this out, something about spirit, at least the way he uses it, is different than soul. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What is this thing called spirit? And what does it mean to have and cultivate a spiritual life? And I'm going to submit to you Simply that your spirit, that your spirit is that which God imparts to you. Something that God gives to you that is meant to reflect his image and be in connection with him. This is the heart of what I want to get at. And the New Testament is clear. Jesus is clear about something. That at some fundamental level, without Jesus, you are spiritually dead. That without Christ, your spirit is dead. I want to show you one passage from Christ. John 3, like you know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? It's the famous John 3 passage. Well, what's often overlooked a little bit earlier that sets up that famous verse is this part of the discussion where Jesus is sitting with this Jewish rabbi explaining to him what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. And he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born Different translations will say, again. Some will say, above. No one can see God's kingdom. No one can have what Jesus will talk about as that spiritual life. Unless they are born again or from above. Now, earlier, all of you admitted to having blood pressures. Well, half of you actually admitted to having blood pressures. But we're taking a leap on the rest of you, okay? We all kind of know that at some level, everyone in here is alive. And I know there's a few of you going, yeah, you don't see who I'm sitting next to. Believe me, I get it. But let's just kind of assume for a moment that everyone in this room right now is not dead. Right? Right? So obviously what Jesus is talking about is not somehow that, oh my gosh, I'm actually a corpse and somehow I actually have to kind of like spring back to life in some kind of way. He's talking about something different. He's talking about the spirit. He's talking about your spirit. That apart from Christ, you are spiritually dead. Your spirit is dead, which means that at some fundamental level to be spiritual requires Christ. Look, you can sit on a mountaintop in the lotus position saying your alms 18 hours a day, and that will not bring you to life any more than anything else. It is Christ who brings the dead to life. And oh, that's what he wants to do. He wants to come to walking corpses like you and me. Zombies who are animated with a soul but spiritually dead and he wants to give life, new life to you. I like how Jesus puts this a little bit later. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. The more literal translations, streams of living water will ooze from their guts. Your bowels will overflow with streams of living water, which is like, yeah, you've seen me in the bathroom. Okay, you must be on to me. No, 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 no. That's not what he means from here. It's going to come out. Does it mean like I puncture myself? And it's like, oh, cool. You know, hey, kids, splash pad. No. No, I think he's talking about something metaphorically. Would you agree? Something life-giving. Something that gives and generates and sustains life will start to flow from within you. That that which is dead and parched and desert and dry suddenly starts to bloom and come to life because what Christ does is to come and give the dead life. And that includes your spirit too. We as Christians gather, and we come to Jesus because we know and come to realize that we're dead, that we're dead, and we want life, and that life is found in Christ alone, and he gives it freely, freely to all who believe in his name. And so what I want to talk to you today now about is how to cultivate that gift, that Christ offers you. That he's springing to life in you. That he's offering you. For some of you, maybe you are spiritually dead and maybe it's coming to life for the first time. For others of you, maybe you've been on this journey with Christ, but you feel like what's supposed to be streams of living water has has reduced to like a drip from a faucet or a trickle or a dried up stream of just a little bit going Lord the abundance of life, spirit-filled life, Lord. That's what I want to talk to you today about. And here's how I want to do it. I want to make an analogy now between your spiritual health and your physical health. Because when we look at ourselves physically, it's kind of easy. We know that we have a body. And when we look in the mirror or try to do things or get up in the morning and feel our energy level, We kind of have a sense of our body, don't we? We know that our body can be strong or it can be weak. We know our body can be sickly or vital. We know that our body can be flabby or fit, right? Guys, the same is true to your spirit as well. God is looking to give you spiritual life, but your spirit Well, it can be weak, or it can be strong. It can be sickly, or it can be healthy and vital. It can be flabby. It can be fit. And I want to use the physical analogy to help guide you into how to think about your spirit. So how do you know if you're physically healthy? well, I don't know, there's kind of dozens of ways. I mean, at some point it's knee-jerk, right? You go, hey, I feel pretty good. You know, I'm going to suggest to you just a few things up here. A few what I would call lowest common denominators that aren't coming out of a medical book, but I think every doctor would agree with. You feel good, you look good, you're strong and able, you got good health numbers, and you're not sick and injured. Amen. Yeah, how do you know if you're physically healthy? Well, do I actually feel good? You ever have it where your BP's like I'm like 120 over 80, why don't I feel good? My heart rate is perfect. Why don't I feel good? I look in the mirror and, yeah, baby. You know, but why don't <laughs> why don't I feel good? At some point, do you just feel good? We know what it's like. You look in the mirror, do I look good? I'm like, you know, job of the huts sitting here or you know, do I have like a healthy kind of physique? Am, am I like weak and frail and emaciated? Or is there some strength? Do I kind of look good, right? Am I able to do things? Can I walk up the stairs without having to, you know, pull one of these, right? Can I go from here to there or get out of a car, lift something? Am I able to kind of function in life? But of course, we know there's another side. All of us have... Felt good, looked good, and been strong and able. But then you go to the doctor, and he's like, yeah, your BP's like you know, 220 over like 180 or something like that. And you're like, is that humanly possible? And he's like, well, you're alive. God bless my brother. I remember him. The first time he got his glucose checked, and his blood sugar level was at 630. They wanted to call an ambulance. And admit him immediately, it's like, dude, I've been living this way for five years. Because sometimes you can be functional, but your numbers just aren't. Good, And so there's these metrics we have, our blood pressure, our oxygenization levels, our BP, our glucose, our blood tests, and I'm sure a thousand other things that are above my pay grade, you know, that we use to kind of measure. Am I healthy? And then fundamentally, am I sick or injured? Because I can feel good, look good, be strong and able and have good health numbers, but darn it, I still can't walk on this gimpy leg. You know what I mean? and I would submit to you that these five things really become a metric for physical health. Now, let's take these. Let's take these conceptually and apply them spiritually. Dot the lines with me, if you would. Spiritually healthy? Am I more sensitive to God and my own sin? Is the character and integrity of my life looking better. So do I feel good in the sense that there's connection with God and a certain sensitivity and removal of callousness and apathy and hard-heartedness? Am I more sensitive to him and my own sin, a sense of brokenness and conviction that exists in my life? Do I feel good? You get the idea, number one? But do I look good too? Do others take a look at me and can I look at myself and the spiritual mirror and go, I've become a person of greater integrity and character, whose life is looking more like Jesus's. Are you with me? Am I able? Am I more obedient? Able to witness? Generous? To respond to that which God is bringing in my path to act? Am I more able to do the things of obedience that God has called me to do than I used to be. Are you strong and able? Are you with me? How are your spiritual stats? Like, honestly, are you worshiping with the body in a measurable way? Or is it like, no, I kind of feel okay and look okay in the mirror, but you look at your stats and it's like, yeah, I kind of like worship like six times a year. Are you involved with other Christians, growing in your faith, in groups or Bible studies or ministries or or gathering in homes to, to devote to the apostles' teaching in some kind of way, not just like a good memory because he had a good experience like 18 months ago, but in a measurable kind of way. When you look at how you practice generosity towards other people, can you put a dollar amount to it? Or have you left it to vagary? You kind of with me? When it comes to sharing your faith, is it just a good idea or can you actually list to me people that you've had a spiritual conversation with in the past two weeks? See what I'm getting at with stats here. Because at the end of the day, we can talk about how we feel good and look good, but is there something tangible, a metric to bolster it? And how are you recovering from sin conditions and injuries? Because we all have them. We all have spiritual disease and injury. How's the spiritual rehab going for you? Are you recovering and working through these things or still mired in a place of brokenness? All of these things start to become a sense of our spiritual fitness. And just like physical fitness, what I've found is I can know what it looks like, what it feels like, and what I'm aiming for. But then there's like this gulf between how to go about getting there, right? I mean, like honestly, which of us when we looked at this went, well, that's a surprise. The difficulty isn't knowing, right? Right? The difficulty that I think all of us face is how do I actually get there when it's not where I want it to be? So the spiritual. How do I actually get it there when it's not what it's supposed to be, when I'm not what I'm supposed to be? Are you with me? And so what I want to suggest to you today is a technique. Just like physical health, In which there are dozens of programs, principles, and techniques that you can enter into to get there. So there is with spiritual health. We could do series after series on this, Bible study after Bible study, talking about your spiritual fitness. And what we could do is sit down with you like like a personal trainer and give to you various techniques and aspects and avenues. But for our time's sake today, I want to suggest to you one, one that has been echoing around the Christian community for centuries. It finds tangible expression in the ancient Benedictine monastic communities but was one that those reformers latched on to them and they sunk their teeth into it. They latched onto it and then tailored it in light of their rediscovery and recommitment to the gospel. And it surrounds three strange words that I want to show you today. Here they are. Aratio, meditatio, tentatio. Say it with me. Aratio, meditatio, tentatio. So not only did you get some Greek today, you got Latin to boot, right? Aratio, meditatio, tentatio. A three-part, simple, three-step way to step towards spiritual health. Let's unpack them, because I think you'll be able to figure them out with me. And let's start with this one here, Aratio. Can you hear like the word orate in there? Oral, stuff like that. It's all the same Latin root. What Horatio was getting at is this speaking, conversation, listening, to which the Christian community would put another simple four letter word in place of pray. Or if you don't like four letter words, make a prayer. Prayer. That essential to spiritual health is prayer. Conversation with God. I want to teach you a passage today. It's three verses, and you're going to memorize this, and you're going to feel like, just like a stud, all right? This is First Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Never in your wildest dreams did you ever think you could memorize three verses. Ready? Here's the first one. Be joyful always. Say it. Here's the second one. Pray continually. Here's the third. Give thanks, in all Give thanks in all circumstances. But it's not done because it says, for, this is, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Say it all with me. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close my eyes. Now you do it. I'll get you started. <laughs> Be All right, you know what? No one's expected to bench 280 the first time down, all right? That was really good. That was really good. Be proud of yourself. Some of you are saying continually. Some of you are saying continuously. Doesn't matter. You got the spirit of it, right? Be joyful always. Pray continually. What does that mean? Does that mean I need to be on my knees at my bedside 24 hours a day saying, Dear Jesus this, dear Jesus that. Well, some in history have done that to the degree that was humanly sustainable, but I don't think that's the spirit of what Paul is getting at. I think what Paul is getting at is make your life a posture of prayer. Posture your life in such a way that you are in ongoing communication with God, that you talk to him regularly, that you're listening to what he has to say, And so the life of prayer becomes this thing that both fosters and bolsters spiritual health, connecting to the source in the most intimate relational kind of ways, talking to him, listening to him, interacting with him, not just about the wish list, not just about the big stuff, not just in formal ways as you would talk. I love how the scriptures say this with Moses. As a man talks with a friend, As you would talk with your dad, assuming you had a dad that was a good one, who would listen. As you would talk with a soul mate, sharing that which is important, venting that which is on you, communicating and listening and making sure it's not one-sided, me doing this all the time and doing that to him. No, Arashio, these ancient communities and the reformers discovered, was essential to your spiritual being. Which leads us to this one. Meditatio. If you can't figure this one out, I don't know what to say. What do you got? Meditate. Guys, do you realize that meditation is a biblical principle? In this day and age... The thought of meditation has been so hijacked by Eastern spirituality and philosophy that many Christians have jettisoned it, thinking it's some idolatrous thing to be kept far away over there. But the scripture is filled with people meditating, examples of people like Isaac who would go out to meditate and God would come and speak to him. Jesus himself getting up early in the morning to go out to pray and to meditate. The Psalms are filled with examples and, and, and well, living waters of the soul kind of gushing up. Talking about meditation, this is just one I want to read to you today. I think it speaks better than anything. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the way of the Lord. And on his way, he, it's right there, meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. It's so outlandish it says in the next line, whatever he does prospers. And you're like, are you kidding me? I do take it up with the Psalms. It's the first Psalm of the Bible. It sets the trajectory for all of them to meditate on the things of God to ruminate on them, to roll them over again and again, to think about them. How many of us have devotional lives which equate to reading some little passage for like two minutes so we can check it off to get on with our day and we've accomplished that which needs to be done? We've all been there haven't we? How many times when we read the Bible is it an information search? We read the requisite chapter, we look for what we want and then we kind of go on our way. No, this falls short of what it means to meditate. What God wants to do is implant his words in you. He wants to implant his thoughts in you. He has something to say and he wants you to think about it and cling to it. Like when you fall in love with a girl and she says something and you're wondering if she likes you and you just think about it all throughout the day. You kind of get what I mean? This is why we stress memorization here so much at FOF. It's not to kind of go like, oh, look, I got like this much of the Bible memorized. Who cares? It's a practice by which we take things God has said and repeat them over and over again within our mind, letting them soak and dance until they become a part of us. And I tell you, when you meditate on what God has to say, not just two minutes at the start of a day. It does something to you. I can't explain it. It starts to shape something in you, and streams of water start to flow in newfound ways, meditatio. And if it stopped at these two, it would be like, rock on. But here's the one to hate and you might not really be able to figure out the word clinically, but just hear it and let the sound of it speak to what it means and has to say tentatio. Struggle. Trial. The tentatio of life. Tentatio is key to your spiritual being. How you will push yourself to the point of struggle to develop your spirit, a lot like someone going to the gym, pushing their body to uncomfortable levels in order to grow stronger, but also how you will respond when the trials and struggles of life come your way and how you'll respond in those moments like when you get cancer or she tells you that she's leaving you, or you're persecuted for your faith, how you'll respond in those moments, and whether it will be with poise and endurance and dignity and compassion and grace, or whether instead it will be met with cynicism, defeat, bitterness, and unforgiveness, hatred and belligerence and anger. No, it's at tentatio that our spirits are honed and pushed and tuned. It's in tentatio that God strengthens our spirits and starts to mold us in to the spiritual beings he wants us to be. These three aspects of Horatio, meditatio, and Tentashio, three aspects of how to step towards spiritual health and fitness in your life. In all this school year, we're going to be challenging you in your faith to become more spiritually strong and fit with Aratio, meditatio, and tentatio exercises starting September fifteenth. They're going to start rolling out, and we want to encourage you to get into a spiritual fitness plan and just see what God will do in your spiritual health and strength. But for now, from now until then, from now until then, I want to do something to help you get started—a warm-up, if you will because it's always good to warm up before you run, right? What I want you to do is seek for the next two weeks to pray continually. I don't mean pray 24-7, but to try to set a posture of talking and listening to God several times throughout the day I mean so much more than it's mealtime and just saying a rote prayer. But maybe to just say, God, we're just going to come and say thanks and listen and spend a minute in your presence today. On your commute, on the train, when you're bored at work, when you're tempted to move to Facebook, maybe move to this for a moment first. You get the idea. Just play with it. See what starts to happen. I want you to memorize First Thessalonians Five, sixteen to 18. To be joyful always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, and ruminate on it through the day. Make it something you think about again and again that leads you to a ratio with a different tone and a different kind of way. And tentatio is this. You will face challenges these next two weeks. Some of you are here today in the midst of one. How do I force myself to be joyful and give thanks in the midst of this?